it's a little taste at home. Get you some biscuits and gravy and pull some grits up there and <laughs> just uh, just eat eat it eat it eat them up. You know. You know, that's the first voice impression, TJ. I thought you nailed. Dodge this. I am the Father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 106 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk today about some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, September the 16th, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and joining me today is the culinary marvel of the world who makes wonderful food and throws all sorts of curry and Indian spices in there. It is Joe Darnell. How are, how, how's the spices going today, Joe? They're going great. My secret ingredient is peanut grease, peanut oil. Okay. I, I just lather everything in a lot of um, fr- uh, fried cooking. Everything is in the pressure cooker, and it's delicious. Well, there are differing views on peanut oil. I, I tend to think peanut oil is, is a fine thing to use, but there are differing views on that matter. Um, but one, yeah, one thing this- is for sure, Joe, I really love food, so maybe that's why I like this movie so much. Oh, really? Do tell. Uh, so the people who don't like food, the people who starve themselves to death, all those, you know, you know annoying <laughs> critics, they're, they're the ones that, yeah, they, don't, they just don't eat very well. Or are they more like uh, that food critic in Ratatouille who is like, I love food, but if I don't love it, I won't swallow. Yeah, I, I yeah, that's just weird. That's what they say. Hey, so uh, I wanted to mention before we got going, actually, I meant to put this in the show outline and I completely forgot. Um, I wanted to mention I have been listening to your voice today. Oh, dear. Yes. Oh, my other podcast I was a guest on. You were a yeah. guest on a podcast. Yeah. So we, we have to mention it, right? Right. Um, Thank I'm you, pulling, sir. I'm pulling up the URL right now to put it in the uh, show outline in the show notes, um, which the show notes for this episode, by the way, will be at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 106. Can you believe we've done 106 of these episodes? All right. Good gravy, so, man. Yes. So I'm going to put that in there. Yeah. So I talked about the Lego movie with uh, Mike Fizzle and Mark Wingdinger, and that was a pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty good discussion. We, we you know, like everybody has seen the Lego movie by now, so we weren't really talking about the ho-hum things like just likes and dislikes with, and whether or not you should go see it. So we were really talking beyond the the likes and dislikes into the, the minutia of the good, the, the really transcendent story elements and things we liked about the storytelling and what exactly they say about the culture, how they reflect on the culture, what they mean to the culture. Yeah, no, it was it was good. I I gotta be honest with you, I was on track to finish that episode by the time I got home, uh, as I was driving and my wife called me. And I can't not take calls from my wife. And so we actually wound up talking for something like twenty minutes as I was driving home and that, that cut twenty minutes of my podcast listening time and that was about how much I had left. Oh. So yeah. I actually no, I, I think I had less than that. Let me look here. Um I may be further along than I think. 
Um, I understand your priorities, TJ. Your wife comes before I. Yes, she does. Um, Actually, I only have 16 minutes and four seconds left. I'm looking at Overcast right now. 15 minutes and four seconds? 16 minutes and four seconds. It seemed like a pretty good episode. Yeah. From what I can tell. I was happy with it. Yeah. Um, I'll have to listen to it again. Yes. When did you record that? Uh, The... I think it was sometime last week. Right now I'm on vacation. <laughs> you're on vacation so, and you're, you're yes. spending time with us. We, we feel very privileged, Joe. Oh, you're, you are very privileged, sir. <laughs> uh, I am uh, uh, sitting in a very unusual sort of place. Uh, this bedroom is maybe 8 by 12 almost. And the inside of that space is the, uh, the master bed bathroom. Um, so it's a little bit cramped and there's literally nowhere to really set up my usual podcast recording station. So what I'm doing is I'm holding the microphone and my, my MacBook pro is precariously sitting on the edge of the master bed. And, uh, this is working. This is working now. Yeah. And your internet, I guess, seems to be okay wherever you're at. When I go every, every time I go on vacation, I have terrible internet. I'm, I'm going on vacation in two weeks and I have, I'm not planning on recording a show, which you and I will need to talk about after the show is over. Um, but anyway, um, and I just always have terrible, but your internet sounds okay. I'm, I'm only seeing a 2.5% packet loss on, uh, Skype, uh, which is not as, I mean, it's worse than usual, but you still sound good. Oh, good. Yeah. So. Well, I'm liking it. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's not cut into too much of your vacation time. So why don't we dive right in? And we actually have a lot to talk about. There's several links in the show today before we get to our review. So I want to dive right in, and I want to talk about something that Joe, I understand, has made you very angry. You're you're yes. like the raging Hulk over there. Your skin is turning green, and your muscles are bulging out, and your shirt has ripped off as you read this. You it, it just became too much for you to mm. handle. The, Be angry, DJ. <laughs> oh, I'm going to So, Andy, Andy <laughs> are you going to be okay? <laughs> I'm okay. All right, all right. So, Andrew Garfield claims that studio cuts hurt The Amazing Spider-Man 2. This is according to Zach Hall Weddell over at Playlist. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, the secondary entry into the Andrew Garfield starring reboot of the early 2000s franchise, didn't swing to great heights this summer. Reviews were generally lukewarm, and box office returns were far lower than what Sony Brass had hoped for. The film opened with a 91.6 million, with 91.6 million, and managed to cobble together close to 203 million domestic, a, of a 708 million global total, which might not seem bad until you put it in perspective. Of recent superhero films, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 clocks in at 25th lifetime domestic gross and that includes the 1989 michael keaton batman at 17th <clears throat> ouch yeah the 203 million dollar cumulative domestic haul also paces the film places the film dead last of the five spider-man flicks to hit theaters since toby mcguire first put on the spandex in 2002 and then skipping ahead in that article here's the real meat here's andrew garfield saying i read the script that alex kurtzman and bob orsi uh, wrote and I genuinely loved it. There was a this thread running through it. Garfield told told the Daily Beast. But once you start removing things and say no, that doesn't work, then the thread is broken and it's hard to follow the story. Certain people at the studio had problems with certain parts of it, and ultimately the studio has the final say in the, the, those movies because they're the tent poles. So you have to answer to those people. This is what I don't like about this is that well, first of all, Andrew Garfield is you know obviously trying to defend the movie to some degree, but he's also trying to you know think critically and objective here. But what we notice here is that number one, the audience didn't want this film. Everybody was satisfied with Toby's films, and then when the Amazing Spider-Man came out by Sony, 
uh, everybody thought, okay, well, are we or are we not bothering to see this film? Those that were willing to give it a chance saw that first one and made up their mind whether or not they preferred Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man or Tobey Maguire's. And so I think already a chunk of the audience had decided in favor of Toby's and were not interested in furthering Andrew Garfield's. So for those people that were left to go see Andrew's, when they saw it, what they found was that it wasn't as good as the first, and it was a big disappointment. It was not up to par with um, Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2. And I don't even think it was really in keeping with Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 2 just let us down big time because the villain was terrible. And and what Andrew is saying here, though, is that the problem was things that they left out of the film. And TJ, I was thinking, you know, I don't think it's what you took out. I think it's what you left in. Right. There was already too much going on in that film. One of my one of my big complaints of that film, among many, uh, was that there was too much going on. Uh, and it's like... You know, if you thought Spider-Man Three, the the real Spider-Man Three, which I guess there isn't an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man Three, but of the original trilogy with uh, with uh, Tobey Maguire, if you thought that one was bad, which I didn't, I thought it was okay. I did think there was too much going on, but this that had nothing on this film, nothing at all. And it's interesting, you know, Joe. You and I are of the opinion, uh, I think, although I think I'm much more strong on it than than you are, if I remember correctly, when we talked about it, that. Um, this whole Spider-Man reboot thing was a, a non-starter, at least for me. Um, I was, I didn't want it. I, I wasn't ready for it. I thought it was too soon. Uh, all, all sorts of things. And I hated that first film very much. Now there are people. Um, we have a, a specific listener actually, uh, and he's written actually for Movie Byte a couple of times. He thinks that the uh, Amazing Spider-Man reboot is way better than Tobey Maguire. Um, I would. Um, disagree with him uh but yeah i mean and it's certainly even those though that that loved that first one they don't like this one not not very many people like it it's interesting it's made a lot of money but not very many people like it i don't think it's necessarily um a bad uh franchise or at least it wasn't let me let me back up i think that the andrew garfield franchise is a good idea because i would like to see a well-executed andrew garfield peter parker but we just weren't ready for it it came too close to Tobey Maguire's. Yes. So it wasn't meant to be. And Sony clearly just wanted to uh, milk this franchise for all it was worth. And that's the only reason we got it. And what I really want to see is I want to find some alternate dimension where somehow Sony loses the rights to Spider-Man and they go back to Marvel. And then it, it's where it belongs. Because I think um, what we would have had a Spider-Man been in the hands of Marvel at this point would be that we, we would, we should expect to see films with Spider-Man alongside of members of the Avengers, for instance. Yes. Or maybe make a cameo in an X-Men film or, right. well, I mean, the, X-Men, be is, wild? X-Men is not in Marvel's hands. So that wouldn't happen, but I get yeah, and that too. We would need that in an alternate dimension as well. Yes. <laughs> but and ultimately, it would be pretty cool to see, like, I hear that Rocket is going to be in one of the future Avengers films, right? In the oh, Age of Ultron? Sure. There's no doubt there's going to be a lot more crossover going on. And, and the Avengers is, an, is a revolving door kind of cast. Um, you know, in the comic books, is my understanding, there's been members come and, and go, and uh, there are some that maybe are more often in the in the members of the Avengers than others, but it's kind of a revolving, you know, cast of heroes, is my understanding. Um I mean, I, whenever anytime I speak about you know comic book stuff, if it's not movie stuff but just comic book stuff, I'm a little on shaky ground because mm-hmm. it's just not my area of expertise. But that's my I'm given to understand that. Anyway, my my big beef with this whole thing is that 
Andrew Garfield thinks, you know, that it's, uh, it, it didn't have enough stuff in it. That, that was what was wrong in the studio. They interfered and, oh, it's not my fault and it's not their fault and it's not, it's not, it's the studio's fault and that's why it was bad. And, uh, yeah, there were reasons for why they trimmed out anything out of the script because yeah. it was too bulky already. It as was it bloated was. and incoherent as it was. So, hmm. yeah. It could have done with, like, I'd like to see a special cut without the villain. Just take all the stuff out with um, Electro. And I'd like to see what that was like. Yeah. Well, oh, so, yeah. And also get rid of the Green Goblin. Yeah. I mean, pick pick a plot and go with it. They couldn't decide which plot to use, so they put them all in, is what it amounts to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, shall we move on to, uh, shall we say, greener pastures, fresher waters, uh, a <laughs> little bit more fun times? Yeah. So yeah. Tommy Lee Jones and Hilary Swank are in an Oscar bid movie, The Homesman. And we got a trailer, a first glimpse at the Homesman. It's coming out October something. Are you an angel? Help me. Suppose I do. What will you do for me? Anything, anything. My name is Cuddy. Mary B. Cuddy. Where's Mr. Cuddy? I live uncommonly alone. What's the job? Three women in this country have lost their minds. <laughs> their husbands can't care for them properly. You and I are going to take them back across the river to Iowa. It's your job, and you sworn to do it. That's why I set you free. Three crazy women for five weeks is a lot more than I bargained for. But this film is, uh, wow, this trailer just came out of nowhere. And what we have on the Movie Byte website, if you want to check it out, is the Homesman International's trailer. Um, so it, it's got, it, it, it's, you know, it's got subtitles. That's what makes it international. <laughs> yeah. but, but clearly this is uh, American through and through. And it's a, it's a yes. Western. And Tommy Lee Jones is playing a very interesting sort of person. Yeah, I've never seen Tommy Lee Jones in a role quite like this. Now um, it, it, he's so dirty, dank, and westernized yeah. that he he really doesn't strike me as just Tommy Lee Jones for what we have seen him in in major performances in the last few years. No, not at all. Now, Joe, you said something very interesting on uh, the episode of uh, Real World Theology that we mentioned um, a little bit ago with your good buddy Fizz, uh, our good hmm. buddy Fizz. Um, and that is that you feel like you have the ability to really nail down how good a film is going to be by its trailer. And you uh, have this is my sixth sense. You it, have it, here two trailers. I would like to hear whether you think this film is going to be a good one and whether you think it has Oscar potential. Obviously, it looks like an Oscar bid to me, uh, but I'd like to hear what you think about that. Well, I'm, what I'm thinking here, TJ, is that, um, first of all, I, I cannot uh, vouch for my professional skills as – um, a uh, Oscar, you know, like predictor. I, 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 I like to think though that I have a, a, a gut feeling as to well, whether or not a film will be okay, Joe, good, better, or whatever. You have to get it right though, Joe, because I'm going to make huge, major bets of oh. all my fortune based on what you tell me here. Oh, seriously, <laughs> I, I can't finish this vacation well. <laughs> well, what I'm thinking is. I'm going to say that I actually think that I will like this film. I don't think it's going to be a, you know, a home run knocked out of the park though, because if it, it, it looks like it was intended to be an Oscar bid. It looks like they meant for this thing to come out 
late in the year. Oh, yeah. And for that sure. for whatever reason, the studio or the producers decided, oh, dear, the film is not as awesome as we intended it to be. So they had to put it out in a, you know, an unusual off season. And what's know. strange, too, is that it's it's a limited release. And like there isn't even a movie poster for this thing on Rotten Tomatoes. But like see, it doesn't even lot, exist. A lot of your Oscar films are limited release and they do start coming out this time of year. So I don't know about that. I don't know about we'll see again. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not very good at predicting what will or would not appeal to the Oscars. But in my gut, I'm thinking that I would still very much like this film. And I would think that it's more than a three star film. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking at least four stars. I've never seen. Have you ever seen Hillary Swank in anything? I've never seen her in anything. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about Tommy Lee Jones' film. This isn't a Hillary Swank film. No, but she's, I mean, she's obviously, you know, a pretty big role in it. Yeah, she'll she'll make it special, I guess. But, <laughs> I mean, but Tommy, this guy, he's like 70 what? How old is Tommy now? That is a really good question. <laughs> but in the movie, with makeup and all, and then just his, his uh, character-driven performance, he, you know, he clearly is an older cowboy. Yeah, you know, sixty-eight. Yeah, he is sixty-eight years old, and it's interesting. Every picture that comes up when I googled for Tommy Lee Jones, every single picture he is wearing a suit. (laughs) So this is a very different role for him, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Oh, I I, I can see that. I'm liking it. I'm liking the look of the trailer. Yeah, I have a much better feeling about this than say the November Man. Yeah, which I wanted I wanted the November Man to be good knowing it wasn't going to be as we discussed last week. This one I I I want to be good and I think it will be. Um I, I feel like it'll be a solid film. I think you're probably right. I don't think it's quite up to the task of of, you know, getting even nominated maybe for an Oscar. We'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll get nominated. It's yeah, it's not going to be it's not going to be a blockbuster. It's not going to, you know, make it the big bucks because I mean clearly A it is a western. They don't do as well on average these days. Um, even when they have an all-star cast, even when they they have something really great to show for it, like you know, renowned directors. Um, but what the what the film can do is it can do something special at the Oscars, and there will be a lot of fans of Tommy Lee Jones and Hilary Swank that will love it for them their appearances. Yeah, I'm looking for whether I can't find it at all on Fandango, which doesn't bode well for a wide release. I'm I'm looking for release information actually. Um. It's probably going to be a limited release, which will stink. Oh, it's coming out on uh, November the 7th. It apparently already appeared at the uh, Cannes uh, Film Festival. Is that how you say that? C-A-N-N-E-S. Yeah, Cannes. Cannes. Yeah, it's Cannes. Um, and that was on May the 18th. Uh, had a budget of $16 million. That's all. Wow. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is, Western. Haley Steinfeld is also in this film, as is Meryl Streep. Music by Marco Beltrami. He's been getting the rounds lately. People. So um, there's too many letters in that that word cans. <laughs> yes, there is. That's why I was confused about how to uh, how to uh, pronounce it. I'm guessing the fact that it's not on Fandango does not bode well for uh, its wide release status, uh, which is going to stink. But I do have a small theater uh, in Nashville, the Bell Court, which sometimes shows these limited releases. So maybe I'll maybe I'll get a chance to see it. I would really love that. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, check out the trailer. It's in the show notes, um, and uh, you'll definitely want to see that. I think it's it's good. I would like to uh, mention to you, Joe, uh, something about Star Wars, because we always talk about Star Wars (sighs) on the Movie Bite podcast whenever it comes up. Yes. Are you not excited about this? 
<laughs> Indulge yourself, TJ. Go on. You're not excited about this? Come on. <laughs> this is an aerial shot. There are several other shots that you'll want to click through uh, and, and see, but this is an aerial shot of a, a, some X-Wing fighters and the Millennium Falcon and what looks like a, a Star Wars-type bunker going on here that they've they've got here. Um, yes, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, you know, there's nothing here to talk about, but I, I, I want to talk about it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say it is kind of neat to see things on the set. Um, yes, and, yes. And how little, how little the Millennium Falcon has changed over the years. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, Joe, I guess the reason this continues to excite me is because if it, the only pictures we would see if this were a George Lucas film of the set would be an actor against green screen. And this is real stuff going on here, Joe. They've got real props out there. Yeah. You know, they've got a half-built Millennium Falcon out there on a set, live for real out there. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm, ha- I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm happy. And there's this X-Wing that has a really mean paint job. It's got some black, orange, highlighted wings. Yes. It looks, uh, it looks fiendish, but I don't know. And then I can't really tell if the other X-Wing is uh, still being built or not. The colors just seem a little bit off. But uh, well, I mean, it could, they're definitely it could be going for some construction. Different, yeah, they're definitely going for different colored stuff. Uh, you yeah. know, the X-Wings do have a couple of different colors. And, you know, they've got the um, they've got a different kind of a different feel of the X-Wing. You know, like, I suppose it's been 30 years and they've probably built different X-Wings since, since the, the Return of the Jedi. But... Um, you know, I don't know. It's 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 fun. I enjoy following this stuff. I imagine by now that the cast and crew have to have a pretty, uh, pretty overarching, ra- well-rounded opinion of what they make of the production now that it's underway. It's it's d- this deep into the production. And I wish I could just, you know, bump into Mark Hamill in the men's room at the <laughs> restaurant and be like, hey, so uh, what do you think? Is it going to be a yay or nay? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'd like to know. I'd like to get like some uh, initial impressions. Well, speaking of Star Wars, there is another Star Wars rumor. This one, I think, is there's more here to discuss. And the rumor is that Obi-Wan Kenobi will get a standalone Star Wars film and that uh, Ewan McGregor would play Obi-Wan. So this would probably be, the, the, the rumor, the guess is that it would be the time period between uh, the, the, the Revenge of the Sith and uh, Episode Four. Uh, Star Wars uh, uh, New Hope so the, the rumor is it'd be somewhere in that time frame and that, that would make sense although I think there's a lot of unexplored time that happened uh, you know between the other films but those would involve Hayden Christensen and we don't want him in the film so <laughs> let's not go there <laughs> well and it's, it's really nice of you and to kind of uh, direct it uh, to post episode 3 territory but really I think that what he was thinking about was just his own age you know he's an older guy and he wants to tell stories about Obi-Wan at his his present age you know he doesn't think that he could pull off a younger uh obi-wan kenobi anymore no he's he's 43 now um and uh yeah i mean he did he i i to me he is the best thing about the prequels um he made a great obi-wan i thought and um i would be very interested in seeing if they can you know kind of bridge the gap and and bring you know bring some good star wars with a good character from the prequels that we pretend don't exist, uh, but but yet do a good job with an Obi-Wan standalone. I would be interested in that because, you know, as far as we know, um, Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan, he just sat around and did nothing on Tatooine, and that doesn't sound like Obi-Wan to me. Well, just uh, remember that this is actually just speculation. This is just an off-the-wall comment to an interviewer. 
but but it's, you know? it's, it's it's the thing where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's been talk about this a lot. And uh, hmm. there's you know it's been getting more persistent. Now it, it very well could just be oh there's going to be standalone films. Let's get an Obi Wan film. That makes sense. Ewan McGregor's still alive, and it would make sense to do one after post episode three. But I feel like where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, you know, to to bring it to the realm of some another you know thing that I like, which is not necessarily related to movies, but you know, with the Apple Watch, there was a lot of smoke, and it turns out there was definitely fire. Um, but did we hear that uh, they're definitely making a, a Boba Fett movie, and there's talks of a young Han Solo? Yeah, I don't think the Han Solo was ever confirmed. I. I think that the Boba Fett movie was confirmed, which just sucks. Like, what? What? <laughs> what is there to tell about either. Boba Fett? I <laughs> I never got why he was such a big deal in in, in episode two. Django Fett. Well, and no, Boba I Fett. Ca- I I care about him. I just don't think that don't. the prequels do anybody any he good. He had he had basically a minor, minor, minor role in The Empire Strikes Back, and he appeared at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, and he was eaten by the uh, Sarlacc pit, and that that's the end of him. Like I don't care. Yeah, he's a fan favorite, but he is by no means significant in the movies. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why he's a fan favorite. To be honest, <sighs> I I think that they could make him interesting, mm. but it, it, by that same token, they could also make um, Obi Wan Kenobi's life very interesting. After episode three and, you know, leading up to episode well, four. Well, getting back to what I said, I feel like that there, there's no way he just sat around on Tatooine and did nothing. Maybe towards, maybe as he got older, you know, and by the time we meet him in episode four, he had settled down. But I feel like he would have gone to Tatooine and he'd have been like, after a couple of years, he's like, I got to go do something. Or maybe something happened that he had to go take care of. Who knows? But the problem here, too, for these uh little side adventures with any sort of spinoff characters, these supporting characters getting their own film is it could produce the, uh, the negative uh, effect of say like cars Two, where you take somebody who is intended to always be a side character and you make him the character in the limelight. And then all of a sudden it changes the dynamic for the entire movie. Right. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it belongs. It doesn't feel like it's up to par with the films that you really like from that same series. Mm. So, you know, um, obviously, a lot of people were not very big on the first Cars. But I the loved prob- it. Yeah, I was okay with it. I was, I was actually impressed with it as far as it's being a movie about a bunch of cars. But then with Cars 2, I, I laughed a little because I understood that they were trying to make a parody of uh, British spy films and to make all of this... Uh, centered around the most unlikely sort of character being Mater, the pickup truck. Have we never but he talked was about just a supporting too? character. Have we never talked about this? I'm actually, I'm fine with Cars 2. I don't think it was quite as good as the first one, but sometimes pre-sequels aren't, and it was a fine film. Right. It wasn't a letdown because it was a horrible film. It was a letdown, though, because it was the worst Pixar film. Yeah. And uh, No, I wouldn't agree with that. Really? No. What do you think is worse? Ah. <sighs> Let's see. We got to talk about this. Pixar is important. We always have to make time for Pixar. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, what do I think? I, I just know that I don't think that that's, a bug's that's life? the worst. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Let's see. Cars. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking mm. through the list now. I never saw Brave because I heard it was so bad. So I don't know. TJ. TJ. I know. I know. So, so I guess I was thinking that uh, that that would be the worst one. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and and definitely Cars Two would be. Um, I don't know. 
like I see every now and then a, a little clip out of Brave, and I'm like, oh, man, I really wanted to like that movie, but I, I just can't. It's not the bug. A Bug's Life is a bad film. I do think that I like Cars two better than A Bug's Life. No, see, that's strange. I, I like Cars two. Don't get me wrong, but you know that feeling that I'm talking about, where the, you just you take a side character, you make him the main character, and then everything changes. Sure. Everything you thought you would get from the film has been steered in another direction. Because if you have a, a middle-aged Obi-Wan Kenobi that has nothing to do with the um, the characters like Anakin Skywalker, and Luke and Leia are just babies, and the Jedi are all dead... What is there really to tell? Is he going to go back to you know Tatooine or? Um, so you're saying it'd be kind of like if if they were to in season three of Star Trek make uh, Yeoman Janice Rand the main character. Oh yeah, and they would <laughs> never do that. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, just it's it, what is he going to do? Who's his villain going to be? What conflict does he have? He's not going to go searching for his parents, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a valid opinion. I, I think that could be done well, but I don't know exactly what that entails and who knows. I, I think that that would probably be the best avenue for a uh, a good standalone film, though. I haven't been that excited about some of the other standalone films I've been hearing about. If they could find a good excuse to bring Obi-Wan Kenobi back, that would be awesome. But I first want to know about a really good story. Yeah, well, I think that a good story has to be the primary driving force, for sure. I I would hope that they didn't go, oh, we got to make an Obi-Wan film. What story can we do? I would hope that somebody said, we have this really great story. And by the way, we also have a really great actor, a fan favorite, Ewan McGregor, blah, blah, blah. That I, I, I would hope that that's what happened, but who knows? Who yeah. Knows? And anyway. what we really have to worry about is that all of this is in the hands of Disney. Well, Joe, um, I think that we should uh, talk about uh, this thing that, that caught fire already. Uh, there was some games, uh, people were hungry, and then some stuff caught on fire, and now there's some sort of a bird that they call, that, that mocks people. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking, of course, of the first full trailer for The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, um, which looks absolutely fantastic. I never wanted any of this. I never wanted to be in the games. I just wanted to save my sister and keep Peta alive. Miss Everdeen, it's the things we love most that destroy us. What did you think? I thought this was the girl catching fire. <laughs> well, of course, I'm looking at the picture of, of Katniss uh, in the uh, in the upper right of the movie bite post, and it looks like her hair is on fire. So, you know. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so this is the official trailer, not all those unofficial fake ones you get from mm. YouTube and the like. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a teaser trailer before, uh, and and uh, it featured some live footage, but not a lot. And then this one is the first full trailer for the Mockingjay Hunger Games and I think it looks really good. Of course, I was a big fan of of Catching Fire. I liked the first film as we've discussed on this podcast. Uh the second film blew it away. And uh I'm you know, it's the same team. It's uh uh, uh what's his name? Uh Lawrence the director. Um why is his name Fishburn? No. Miss uh, something Lawrence. Lawrence is the last name. He made um that movie with Will Smith too. Jennifer. No, Jennifer is the actress. Man, uh, the Hunger Games. I hate it when my IMDb. brain fails me like this on the air, on the podcast. My brain has just completely. And yeah. I can't help you because I'm holding on to a microphone. Francis, Francis Lawrence is the was the director. 
Um, not and, related to Jennifer. No, not at all. Uh, and and he also um, he directed that movie with Will Smith, which is uh, I'm also looking at because I'd forgotten the name of. Uh, I'm scrolling down here. Da, 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 da. I am Legend. <laughs> oh, okay. Why are you snorting at me? Nothing. Nothing. You keep snorting at me, though. Is this one of those nights? Okay. Well, anyway, um, I think the trailer looks fantastic. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I uh, have to admit, I haven't seen the sequel yet, but I am looking forward to it. <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? I I have seen the first film, and I really enjoyed it. I'm just uh, going to reserve some time to play catch-up and see this uh, film right after I've seen the sequel. Okay, Joe. The card facepalm dot gif. Yeah. <laughs> gif? Or do you mean gif? Gif. I mean gif. I really mean oh, gif. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> it's not it's not graphics, Joe. It's graphics interchange format. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. I really mean gif. Uh yeah, so The Hunker James. <laughs> I suppose you're one of these people who thinks it's GIF. Yeah, like peanut butter, like the peanut butter. That, but notice what letter that's spelled with. G. J. It says it says, it says GIF. J I F GIF, not mm. not G I F. Anywho, the trailer. Um, I can't believe you haven't seen Catching Fire. Well, oh, I've man. seen the trailers. It was fantastic. I read the reviews. Um, I, I heard things from friends. Uh, what can I say? I think my wife wasn't interested in seeing it in theaters. What is wrong with her? I wasn't interested in seeing it with her or we, without we, her. We need so. an intervention. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know that that would be at the top of the list for the intervention, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it was it was a really good film, and uh, yeah. So check out the trailer; it's in the show notes. I can't talk much more about this without just completely losing it here. Um, well, yeah, and obviously, if you're catching fire person then it's going to be your thing besides i want to move on to some really interesting news that i think you'll actually be able to talk about because it doesn't involve a movie that you haven't seen you've seen all of these movies i know that you have and this is that matt damon and paul greengrass are uh it's still technically a rumor but it's pretty confirmed at this point are returning for a newborn film jermaine lucier over at slash film uh says uh shocking news in the world of born uh, report says Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass are making deals to return their, for their third Jason Bourne film together. This would be the fifth overall film in the series. The film would take the summer 2016 release date that was already in place for the Bourne Legacy sequel, which was set to be directed by Justin Lin and star Jeremy Renner. Um, the Bourne 5 news broke several months back on Latino Review, but pr- producer Frank Marshall denied it. Now Deadline story seems to confirm, although even though reps for Damon and Greengrass would not comment, there's also no word on who penned the script. As for the Renner Lynn spinoff film, the article states that film is still in development, but will be released after the new Damon film. The Hope Notice at Universal... They're still, calling it a, they're still calling it a spinoff film. Yes. The Hope at Universal is to expand this franchise into a larger beast, eventually crossing over the characters and storylines as rumored before. Uh, Greengrass and Damon have been pretty adamant in the past that they were not coming back to the Bourne franchise due to uh, creative differences with uh, everybody involved, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And now they won't comment. Uh, that, I mean, that, that feels like before when asked for comment, they say, no, we're not coming back. We're not doing that, et cetera, et cetera. So where there's smoke, there's fire. And where there is there is no smoke, there's also fire. <laughs> 
basically whatever I want it to be. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, it just feels like I, I want it to be true. Maybe that's all. I don't know. And, and, and no, I, I'm rooting for this, and I think that you're probably onto something because they're saying no comment, and I, fa- I think that that's the first. I mean, they, for, for all these years, they've been willing to comment on it. Yeah. Um, and, and I really hope what they do. Again, no offense to Jeremy Renner. I think that in many contexts, he is a great actor. He's done some great things. I loved his performance as Hawkeye. Um, I, I really hope that what they do is just completely ignore that fourth born film and pretend like it didn't even exist. Well, I know that some of the novel fans would probably be amiss about the entire development of the movie franchise beyond the first film because they it's, changed up everything from oh yeah. the Bourne supremacy on. It strayed pretty far. Spoiler alert for uh, the second Bourne film, but, you know, the the girl dies and... They, yeah, that, 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 you didn't have to go there. That Well, I just, I have to because you're talking about it straying from the books. That did not happen in the books. Yeah. Well, you just, you had to go and say it. I, just, I was just pointing out that they were very different. There's no continuity. No, past the first film, they're not like the books at all, and that's fine. I, I thought, like, I felt like the, uh, the yeah, films it's okay. are fine, um, and I, I mm-hmm. love the films. Uh, the first one was obviously the best, but the third one was pretty good too. Yeah. Um, second one, probably my least favorite of the original three, but then there was then there was uh, uh, Born Legacy, Born Without Born, or something like that. Uh, it just didn't work at all on any level for any reason. It was a terrible film, and I just uh, you, you never got see to it. see you got to see Born's picture on a couple of like headlines and, <laughs> right. in the news reports and on phony IDs. Yeah, it wasn't was that enough? Make a whole movie after the guy terrible. you see in news bulletins? Read my lips if you could see them. Terrible. Uh, yeah, so I hope that what they do is ignore that and, and just make another film. And I f- there's definitely more story to tell here. That's the thing. Um, I don't care if it's strayed from the books or not. Where they left it, yes, they resolved a lot of things, but there's still a lot to explore. There's still you, a lot to know. There's still really? a lot going on there. Okay. You like don't ag- what? You don't agree? What do you What do you see Bourne doing? Like, he, he clearly like has, like, retired three four times maybe now, now what he's killed so many people what's left to do Who, who's left to kill i'm just saying there's a lot of mystery left still to explore oh yeah Th- that's the cia for you <laughs> we still don't i mean we know something about where born came from but i mean I, I just feel like his journey of discovery doesn't have to be over fair enough yeah all right yeah well and i'll, I'll watch it for anyway, somebody who says they're excited day. about it you're sure are poo-pooing my uh, my excitement for it well i'm i'm excited about the born series because i i actually am one of the rare people who enjoyed the born legacy not as a oh continuation that was faithful to the born identity series along with matt damon's vision and paul Greengrass's uh film directions approach but i felt like on its own two feet as uh moving away from Born. If you imagined other people in other places and other times and what their story might be told like, it wouldn't feel the same as a Jason Bourne story. It would feel like a story that suited those characters. And that's what I felt about um, Hawkeye. Yeah, that's what I felt about Hawkeye's <laughs> uh, Bourne legacy movie was that uh, he his movie would just feel different anyway. So I was OK with the approach. And no, it's not as good as the others. But it was still a decent action right film. That. It was still decent. No, it wasn't. In some part. No, it wasn't. No semblance of decency at all. Nothing subtle with you, TJ. No, I, I have no subtlety. I, even though I like films with subtlety, I have no subtlety. There's no doubt about that. That's why you do a movie podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Well, so that's the rumor. Um, check it out in the show notes. Paul, uh, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon returning to do a newborn film. I really hope this happens. I want it to happen. I think it'll happen. I believe it. I believe in them. 
And you're you're okay with the idea of there being a merge of all the characters, including no. Jeremy Renner? No, I don't want that. Mm. And the, and and the, well, the, this rumor says that wouldn't happen in this film anyway. That wouldn't be until later films. I'm not even cool with them doing later films already because again, that just sounds like the studio talking. I agree. Now we're going back to the problem of you're getting the uh, the 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 vision for making money before you get the cart or the horse, <laughs> and um, I just don't like it. I don't like the idea that they're just finding new ways to make money. Put no, money I, I think that good films we know it's good films should start with a script. It should it should be hey we have this great story let's tell it. And I, so I agree. Them talking about future films already does sound bad. I, I agree with that. But you know, I, I still think it, I still think it could be good. At least this next film I think could be good. I bet you there's some good fan fiction out there for the Bourne series. Oh, I'm sure there is. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know that the Hollywood you know the studios they love fan fiction. Do they? Oh yeah, mm. they're they're always reading it. They just don't talk about it. Mm. Okay. So you want to talk about another fu- f- 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 film? Food? You wanna, Food? Movie? Are you, are you foreshadowing there? <laughs> <laughs> talk about food. What are you talking about? Yes, let's talk about the one, the hundred foot journey. In the south of France, her restaurant had no equal. Last night, we served this. In this restaurant, the cuisine is not an old, tired marriage. It is a passionate affair. Until one family... Papa, slow down. Stop! Stirred things up. I want to buy this restaurant. Bonjour. This is private property. Excuse me, do you own this property? No, no. Oh, that means you are trespassing too. 100 feet across the street, the restaurant has a Michelin star. The president of France dines there. Can Mr. President order burger masala? Cook the way Hassan cooks? People here don't eat those things. They have never tried. Now they shall. We open Saturday night. My son is the best Indian chef in Europe. Raise your hand. Don't feel shy. Don't raise your hand. Raise your hand, Hassan. I'm talking to you. Begin! 100 Foot Journey was released on August the 8th, 2014. It had a budget of $22 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $10.9 million. The worldwide gross is at $49.5 million. Not bad for a $22 million film, in my opinion. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes says that director Lassay Halstrom, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, it says the director does lovely work and Helen Mirren is always worth watching, but the 100 foot journey travels predictably ground, uh, predictable ground already covered by the countless feel good dramedies. I could not disagree more. Director uh, was, as I mentioned, that unpronounceable guy's name. The writers were Stephen Knight, who wrote the screenplay, and Richard C. Morace wrote the book. The stars are Helen Mirren, who plays Madame Mallory. She has, interestingly, I looked up, has been acting since 1966. She was in 2010, Gosford's Park, National, uh, Gosford Park, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, uh, Red and Red 2 as Victoria. Uh, she was in Hitchcock. She played Alma Hitchcock. And uh, she was the voice of Dean Hardscrabble in Monsters University. Uh, the other cast members are Om Puri as Papa. I'm going to mangle all these Indian names. <laughs> M- Manish Dayal as Hassan. Charlotte LeBon as Marguerite. No, it's not, it's not Bone. Oh, don't. No. It's I actually, bone. I looked that pronunci- pronunciation up. Are you sure? Uh, that's the way a esteemed film critic pronounced it. Okay. I could okay. be very wrong. What did you think it was? Ah, I, I would have said LeBon. LeBon? Uh, maybe that one. I'm sorry. Okay. Le Bon. Okay. Charlotte Le Bon. Uh, I, I am not French. I don't do French. Uh, none of us do French. 
for uh, Americans. <laughs> Amit Shah has Mansur. Frazana du el he <laughs> just mangling these so bad as as another name I can't pronounce Maharia Maharia Mahara I don't know uh, Clement Sib- Siboni uh, as <laughs> Siboni I, Sib- go up, go ahead <laughs> no I'm kidding as Jean Pierre as Jean Pierre now that that name I can't pronounce Jean Pierre and uh, Michael Blanc as the mayor. The composer was A.R. Raman, uh, who did the, uh, composed the music for Slumdog Millionaire. So, mm. what did, uh, while we're here, what did you think of the music? I was happy with it. It wasn't elating. It was okay. Oh, it, it was the good. whole film and, uh, the mystique of the music was, um, characteristic of, uh, international flair. And, uh, I thought it was faithful to, um, bits and pieces of, French culture and Indian culture. At least ways it was trying sure. to communicate that to a bunch of American audiences. I thought the music was pretty fantastic, actually. Um, really? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You'll listen to it again? What's that? You'll listen to it again? Oh, probably. I don't know if it's one I'll go download the soundtrack for, but I, I mean, I enjoyed it. And maybe okay. I will. Maybe I will download the soundtrack. So a little bit about the storyline. What we have here from the studio is the family of a talented cook, Hassan Kadam, has a life filled with both culinary delights and profound loss. Drifting through Europe after fleeing political violence in India that killed the family restaurant business and their mother, the Kadams arrive in France. Once there, a chance auto accident and the kindness of a young woman, Marguerite, in the village of saint Antonin Nobleval. I guess that's how it's pronounced. Again, <laughs> you're no man. good with pronunciations either. Uh, what what are we doing here? Inspires Papa Kadam to set up an Indian restaurant there. Unfortunately, this puts the Kadams in direct competition with the snobbish Madame Mallory's acclaimed hot cuisine establishment across the street, where Marguerite also works as a sous chef. Also works as a sous chef. The resulting rivalry eventually escalates in personal intensity until it goes too far. In response, there is a bridging of sides initiated by Hassan, Marguerite, and Madame Mallory herself, both professional and personal, that encourages and understanding that will change both sides forever. Did you catch any of that? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. So that's that's the gist of the movie. It's it's a movie about food, and it's not ratatouille. It's not ratatouille, but it'll mm. ride, remind you of ratatouille. See, I don't know that I would say it's a movie about food. Sure, food's in it, and uh, food plays a big role. Yeah, it's. It, it's uh, I, I wrote. It's a great uh, story masquerading under the guise of you food. could. So you could basically substitute the food for basketball sports. Actually, I wrote that very thing in my notes. I said it's it's. I, oh, did you? Oh dear. <laughs> I I hate sports, Joe. I don't like sports in general. I don't mind playing a few sports sometimes, especially when I was younger and didn't have so much to do, so much real work to do in, in the tech world. <laughs> but um, I, in general, I, I hate sports. Like everybody except for two of us at uh, at my work uh, are really into fantasy football and all this stuff, and that's fine. I, I'm I'm happy for them. I don't get me wrong. I I snark a lot about sports, but I don't have any problem with it. I just don't like it. But um, I I usually there there are several sports movies that I actually like. Um, I, I think of uh, Forty Two, the Jackie Robinson story. Um, there was one with uh, I, I think it was um, Bill Pullman. Uh, I think it was a 
basketball movie, if I remember right. I remember liking it a lot. Mm. Uh, the point is, I, I, I feel the same way about this, although I identify much more closely with food because I like, I like food. Who doesn't? Um, but Even I feel like, food. I feel Indian like food. The, with those sports movies and with this movie, it's not about the sports. It's not about the food. It's about the story. When it's a good movie, it's about the story. And I feel like that's what's going on here. Yes, the food plays an important part, but it really, it's really about the story and the people and, and their, their interest in the food, not, not about the food. That's my opinion. Okay. You say so. Uh, no, no. Did you ever see? Did, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you have no witty comebacks for that? <laughs> no. No, I'm saving them up for another day. Okay. Did did you ever see the shop around the corner? I don't think so. That doesn't ring a bell. Okay, it was a, cl- a movie classic, and it was the um, the inspiration for You've Got Mail. Okay, and I felt like this is an international um, inspirational, you know, or fi- a film inspired by essentially the same kind of theme. You have two families pitted against each other. The one. Who is established, the other one who is not. And then it turns out that the guy who is not established, he is able to do some amazing things. The guy and the girl are attracted to each other, and over the course of time they realize that they can overcome their their business competitiveness and they can get along and live happily ever after together. Sure. Of course. And uh, like a- you've got mail was a huge success. And so I mean, you know, as a romantic comedy. Um I don't remember what people were saying back then, except that it was a a big deal. It was a hot item. And I think that this film is better than what the critics are saying, because in spite of the fact that it's a feel-good film that is marching down familiar territory, it's, uh, it's it's really decent. It's really well executed. Yeah, familiar territory does not mean it's a bad film. I mean, because there is no. only so many stories in the world to tell. Yes. And and you, and and what makes a film good is if they found new and interesting ways to tell them or or very, you know, very good at journeys for the characters or good emotional arcs. I mean, I feel like this film has all of that. It felt like it was um a, a story that could have been true, but I don't think it's a true story. No, I, I don't think it's, think true, it's a true life. story. Uh but but it, it it does feel like one that could have been true for sure. Um, and if it was true, certainly it would have been embellished a little. But, but I, I think nonetheless, it's it's a fantastic story. Of, uh, I mean, I just I really loved the the clash of the cultures in this film, and none of those cultures had anything to do with the United States, which was fun to just kind of get out of our little world and our little bubble over here, and to go over into you know France and and and, and you know, um, and India, and it, it, I, I mean, I, I just thought it was a lot of fun, you know, in, in that regard. I got it. I got it. It's Ratatouille meets Life of Pi. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, so, what you have is the young guy, and you know his immediate family, Indian. Um, he's obviously an aspiring, industrious young fellow. Yeah, I mean, I I actually really liked Ratatouille a lot, and it, it's weird. Uh, you know, this this is also a film about food and, and French food, and in this case, also Indian food, as Ratatouille was a lot about French food. Um, I like Ratatouille a lot, and it's interesting. I am the when it comes to food, I am the most American person on the planet. I'm almost a caricature of an American food eater. Like oh. I really love my hamburgers and my hot dogs and my fries, and give me a good cookout and a steak. Oh, I love I love me some medium, you know, steak and yeah. So it's weird, but I really enjoy. <laughs> like I, it, this makes me want to branch out a little and try some food from other countries. You know. Interesting. Well, see, that's the thing is I haven't been especially fond of the French cuisine that I've tried. 
Interesting. Yeah, I've never tried French cuisine, so I have no idea. It's okay. It's just uh, not necessarily going to suit my 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 background, my food and my food background. And I think that that's why it seems to me that it's still considered a, a delicacy. It's gourmet. It's high end in America. One way or the other, Italian has been brought to low levels. Mexican has been brought high to great levels. Um, you see, which is weird. Yeah, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that. Uh, you see a lot of but. you see a lot of um, fake Chinese. You see a lot yeah. of Indian. You see Thai. You don't see a lot of European though in the United States. True. It is sort of the way that even like uh, Southern cuisine hasn't really been able to head it off in other parts of the country. So no, in the South, you have a lot of... It's not actually all that good. It's not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. It just depends on who you are. I mean, I, does, was, yes. I was brought up in Georgia. And so uh, I'm not, you know, going to claim that, you know, biscuits and gravy and grits are the best things on earth. But, I do love biscuits and gravy, though. But they're pretty high up there. They're pretty good. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're just as good as your your northern hash browns. But not you know? even your southern guy would say, "Hey, this is gourmet food from you know that no, we have around the world." No, no, no. 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 It's like it's a little it's a little taste at home. Get you some biscuits and gravy and pull some grits up there and <laughs> just uh, just eat eat it eat it eat them up. You know, you know that's the first voice impression, TJ. I thought you nailed. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, when it comes to the European food, we're just really having captured that here in the states. Not very, not, not widespread. Very well, no. And so Americans, for the most part, don't really know what the French food is like. Yeah, and it's also interesting. I'm I am really not a big fan of Indian food. Um, there is an Indian restaurant not far from where I work, and uh, sometimes, occasionally, um, the the guys will want to go out there, and I'll go with them, and eh, I can find some stuff that's okay. But I'm just not a big fan of it. But this looking at, at Hassam cooking some of that Indian food made me really interested in, in Indian food. But again, it you know it all looks good even in the restaurant that I go to, and I just don't care for it as much. So. Uh, All right. Well, so um, as for some things that I like in the film, yeah. one of the things that really stands out to me, first of all, is that ha- pretty much everything had to have been shot on some location overseas. Oh, for sure. That was really rustic. And it beautiful. Felt, uh, yes, just gorgeous there in, in some part of uh the UK. I don't want to assume that it was actually filmed in France, although it could have been easily. Well, let's find out. Um, it felt true to the story location. And they used old-fashioned, dilapidated, you know, buildings, and they they show them being, you know, restored in the, the way a family might. Yeah, I always enjoy the the old world architecture. You know, like like you could tell, like that. It's just such a weird. Like we're not used to that. Where um, Marguerite was living up in that kind of that brick apartment complex kind of thing. Although it was just it very looked like old something world. out of like a uh, a Dickens, you know, story. You know, the the, the little street that she lived on. And the apartment that she had upstairs. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. And then very different from that, you have the um, the country restaurants, and the one being very truly French and very patriotically French. So, so a couple of times throughout the movie, you see that they, they show year-in and year-out events, and they sh- sh- present the uh, the national holidays, and there are special occasions at their restaurant where... Folks come to their restaurant to have very um, patriotic French food and then watch the fireworks, you know. Yeah. But then just across the street, there's the Indian restaurant, which is (laughs) competing with them. And it's a clash of cultures right there uh, just across the road. Um, You want to talk about something else that you like um, while I'm ruminating on it? 
Yeah, um, the I, I did want to mention that I found uh, here on Wikipedia, which I'll throw in the show notes as well. The principal photography was it was on location in the very place they were supposed to be, Saint Antonin Nobel Val, uh, wow. in the south of France. So it was on location in France. I thought That's it was. Really cool. it, it looked like it was. So um, it, it definitely had a really great look to it. Just and that obviously uh, helps. So um, yeah, so you wanted me to talk about something that I liked about the film. Um, I, Joe, I really, this movie had me hooked from this very opening scene. I really loved the way they did that. You know, I'm not always a fan of when films, you know, kind of tell the backstory, you, you know, kind of like, Hey, so, you know, it starts with this opening narration and he's like, you know, we, we were this and we were that and my family did this and my mother taught me how to cook and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it can be really rote and boring, but they did it in a really interesting way in this film. At least I felt like they did. Um, and that was that it turns out that he's telling the st- he's trying to get through uh customs so that he can uh, migrate into uh, France and uh i i just i felt like the the whole pacing of it and the backstory was very interesting and and really uh it, it was just it was a really great start to a really great story it felt very tasteful it felt yes. musical without being a musical Yes, which leisurely. Which, yeah, it's it had a, this film all throughout for the most part had a great pacing. I, I, there's a pacing issues in the third act that we can get to later, but for the most part, uh, and and it kind of recovered from that. For the most part, the pacing of this film was was just excellent, and and even right from that very opening scene. I think that um, that was something really refreshing because we haven't seen many films this year for American audiences that feel like they were a story about people on vacation. Right. And even though they're hard at work in the movie, it, they're really restaurants that are like the, the the very nice special outings that people would take on the weekend or on a, a Sunday lunch. Um, that that's the kind of restaurants that these people operate, and so you feel like it's a, it's the special occasions away from the town when the people want to just uh, spend time together with family and friends, and because the the people there as they're pre- depicted. Um, from the French town are so um, familiar with each other in this small town. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And so the people in the market and the the, uh, the mag- local magistrates and businessmen all have uh, a, like name recognition. And you see that they're dining together and th- their families together. And you see that kind of focusiness, uh, international French focusiness together. And that was very appealing and just relaxing, not something that was like, oh, so many American movies these days that is high octane and inner city and corruption inside the government. And, you know, know, whatever it is that you're, you're, you know, force fed, you know, to to the American audiences and you're supposed to believe about America today. And if that's what it feels like, so many movies in American culture are now depicting is disgruntled households and uh, dysfunctional families and people who cannot get anything right. And here you have a father who has got some good ideas for his family. He's really motivated to keep the family together and they're very loyal as a family. They do some things right. They're doing things their way too. They're very true to their Indian style culture. And, um, but they're trying to, reach out and get new experiences, obviously, because they're now in France and they're wanting to learn how to do things the French way. And uh, their son being a great case in point because he wants to understand the French uh, food as well as he understands his own. Right. And that was really cool. Like, you could appreciate that the this immigrant 
was very true to his Indian upbringing, but he was also expanding his horizons. And because he was doing that, he was able to further his career in a way that nobody would really ordinarily accomplish because you so often see, you know, there, there's this uh, tension. This is one of the, the themes of the film. There's a tension with immigrants in America where, you know, a lot of immigrants want to come here and they want to be true to their cultures and they don't really want to change at all. They just want to come here and live in a little version of what they had back home in their home country. And this is really true, though, anywhere in the world, though is that people basically don't want to ever change no matter where they live. They want to be true to, you know, whatever you know, patri- patriotic feelings they may have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know a lot of Canadians, you know, they come to the States and they never, you know, they never really change. They they want to what be, are you get talking a little about? bit snobbish about it. You know, <laughs> they just want to get a little bit snobbish about it. And, you know, and I, but Americans would do the same thing, too. We would go there, and for no good reason, we would put them out by trying to forcefully remain, you know, sticklers for dividing our culture from their culture. Yeah, and I feel like we got a little bit of that. Uh, like, like we got a, a glimpse at both sides of how that works in this film. And, yes. and, and I, I feel like this is something that you can't do in the United States as a setting. Like, like you can't be, because we would, you know, the film would instantly be accused of racism. But by making the film taking place in France, but in Indians, my, you know, India Indians migrating to. Uh, France and 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 Hassam wanting to learn more about French cooking and French culture and to adapt and not to lose necessarily his heritage and his you know his food but also to incorporate and to learn about this culture and that's something you couldn't do here in the United States because the movie would instantly be accused of racism and you know not caring about the minorities but I feel like by moving it over there into the setting of France you'd kind of remove that and you see oh this is a great story about a guy who who migrated to France and he wants to learn about their culture. And he wants to learn about their food. Um, and yeah, I, I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying there. And, um, and we did get a glimpse of, of both sides of that story because, you know, the older guy, Papa, um, you know, he, he didn't really want to, I mean, he was fine with the French, but he was, he was an, in, he was Indian, you know, doggone it. And he was going to bring <laughs> Indian culture to France. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, uh, there's, there was, I think, a middle ground to be had there. <laughs> yes, it, it provided a little bit of the comedy that you might expect from something like uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, because Papa is very much the Indian, and sort of the way that uh, the Papa was in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, he's very much the Greek. Um, and so when you have the clash of cultures, it automatically produces some uh, fun uh, cultural rivalry. And that that was there not as it wasn't as comedic as my big fat greek wedding and, and thankfully not i'm okay with it but it, it, yeah. it had its place and i'm glad that this one took more of the we are going this is going to be a drama this drama has elements of of comedy and elements of romance and it had but it's wonderful going to be a drama. it had wonderful elements of comedy you're right it, it is primarily a drama but it does have both elements and the comedy that it did it did well which you know for a for a film with uh, no americans in it uh, can for for us, you know, with our sense of humor in the United States, every culture has a different sense of humor. But I felt like the humor transcended that. Um, I felt like um, uh, Om Puri really had a great sense of of how to translate the humor out into that that it works. At least it worked for the culture that I'm in, and I'm assuming it felt like the kind of thing that would work in more than just our culture. And obviously, since it was a, a, a you know a film made in France about Indians, uh, India Indians. I, man, I hate that our our natives here in the United States are also called Indians. It's so confusing. Um, anyway, 
I have my hands tied up because I'm holding the microphone, but do you want to do me a favor? Yes. Look up on IMDb, uh, the actress who played Marguerite, because her oh. voice sounds a heck of a lot like one of the uh, characters in Brave, Pixar's Brave. Since we were talking about that earlier, I wanted to look that one up. Okay. Because um, she seemed like a really compelling, decent actress, um, although she was not given a lot of opportunity to really shine in the film. I feel like they did well with her mm. at times, and then at other times they did not. Now, I'm not trying to really complain yeah. about this just yet. I'm not trying to put this in my, my dislikes of the film. I, I'm just you know mentioning, like, uh, I could see more done with that actress. Um, I think that uh, the, the this film was well cast, even when the story, the dialogue, or the, the where it was going wasn't doing something for me. I was still very happy with the cast. What is do you she, think? Is she in there? She is not. She was not in Brave. Um, in she fact, sounds an awful lot like the girl who did uh, the main character. <laughs> so yeah. that's interesting. So um, she's been. It looked like. It looks to me. Oh, no, no, she's French Canadian. Uh, uh, hmm. Actually, I know that from something else I looked up about her, but I'm not seeing that I am on IMDb. Anyway, she is a French-speaking Canadian. Um, she's been in a lot of French films. Uh, in fact, I'm not seeing any names that do not look like French films, except for the Hundred Foot Journey. And I guess it. Uh, what do you call the French? The Hundred Foot Journey, a French film? I guess it kind of is. Um, so she's not been in any any films that we would recognize up until this point. Hmm. Um, uh, another thing I really enjoyed was just the progression for the uh, the main guy, the uh, Papa son, who was becoming the the superstar chef over time. What was his name? Hassan. Hassan. He had yeah. a great journey, um, and and I really loved his character. I mean, you know, he's not the conflicted character, and and a lot of times, you know, your 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 main guy will have these things to work through. He didn't have a lot to work through. His struggle was learning about the culture and you know doing it with his father's blessing and permission. But he was not a troubled character, and 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 that's refreshing at times. And I I liked that about him in this in this particular case. Right, like he he was uh, a little bit bland, but he at the same time he's the kind of guy that you would want to be, or you'd want to be your friend. You yeah, know? absolutely. Because he he was uncomplicated, and he wasn't going to mess around with you know his dark past, like his you know spoiler alert, something very important happens near the beginning of the film, and it's kind of tragic, and it could have easily made Hassan a broody character for at least the first half of the film, and then there could have been a situation arise where some noble mentor to, like like talks him out of his you know the pit that he has dug himself into. Which um we might have expected from another um you know lesser drama dramedy comedy whatever this thing is yeah yeah he had a he had a great journey and uh they didn't feel the need to to make it dramatic where it didn't need to be so um yeah i was i was very happy with that um one of the uh i i have to go back to something you said i I do agree that uh charlotte le bon is that how you i don't know whatever the french canadian (laughs) actress we'll go with that um she she was fantastic. I do tend to agree with you that she could have had a. This speaks a little bit to my problems with the third act, but but um, I, I I wish that she had been a little more prominent, had a little bit better uh, role, a little bit better script. But by I mean she did a fantastic job with what she had, um, and I mean really all of our characters did. I mean all the actors in this film. Um, obviously Helen Mirren is the star here, whether she was supposed to be or not. Uh, she just you know took it away, and she she does such a great job of eliciting empathy with her character. Um, maybe empathy is the wrong word because it, you know at first you really dislike her, um, and you're supposed to, like she's just this snobby, 
uh, uptight, uh, you know, g- get off my lawn, go away. I'm, I'm, I'm French and we have French cuisine and there's no other, you know, all your cuisine from your, your culture is, it's just, you put too much spice on it and you, you need subtlety of flavor, you know, and, and it, it, you know, she's just fantastic in, in portraying that. And you start to see the, the, you know, the shell, uh, soften a little and you start to get, you know, and then, before you know it, she has elicited your empathy with her character without you realizing it until you're like, whoa, I, I remember distinctly not liking her at the beginning of this film. <laughs> what happened? She just, she just does such a fantastic job in this role. This, this may be the best role that I've seen her in. And there were things along the way that I liked and disliked about Papa. And um, Hassan's father, he he obviously he meant stubborn. well. He yeah. was stubborn, and sometimes it provided comedy. Sometimes it just felt like he was getting in the way, and you really wished that his uh, children would come into their own, and that they would kind of say, "Okay, Papa, now it's it's our turn. We're going to get a little bit more involved in the leadership of the family here. It's important that you don't burn too many bridges, or that you don't really off put all of the French that you know we we that have are supporting us around us. You know, like there are customers. Okay, Papa, we can't we can't we cannot afford to." you know, um, uh, lose friends and, uh, disillusion people this way. Right. Um, but, uh, at the same, so at the same time, there was some conflict there. Papa wasn't made out to be the perfect father or the perfect Indian dad. Somehow he, he, uh, felt realistic. Like, yeah, his, some of his antics even reminded me of my own grandfather's. Um, who was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina. But like um, just to, that way that I guess that relationship you have with the elderly uh, and uh, your uh, grandparents uh, was kind of true to life there as well. And that was cross-cultural. And that was something I enjoyed was watching the family dynamics with Papa and his uh, his grandchildren and his children. Yeah. And also how he had to perform business with people that were so different from him. And that he, you know, ran things in France in ways that he had never been experienced with before in his life. He kept on going back to um, negotiating tactics. Right, and right. <laughs> the French were not digging his, his, oh man, his crazy ideas about negotiations. Yeah, they didn't quite understand. And, and, you know, his, he's got to get the best deal, you know, just because I'm, just because I, you know, ask for a discount does not mean I do not have money. It means I'm thrifty, you know. Um, it, it, it was great. And, and I, I have to say, I just really loved the way his character, he just, he was very comfortable in his own skin, despite the fact that others around him were very, you know, his own children were just like, Oh, dad, you're making me so embarrassed, you know, which, speaking which of his own, <laughs> well, speaking of his own skin, man, what, what did you notice his nose? I did. Yeah. <laughs> didn't want to it say was, anything about it. I'm glad it was did. hard not to notice the nose for the first few scenes. I I, I eventually overcame the nose. <laughs> I wanted to know, like, is there a history behind that nose? <laughs> <laughs> it's been punched a few times, and it's. Not, I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, he, he, you know, ate too much curry. Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed him. Uh, I really really loved kind of the story between uh, Helen Mirren's uh, Madame Mallory and uh, Papa. Um, you know, the, the squabbling and the, the fighting and the bickering and the, you know, he's, you know, they just keep escalating and taking it to the, to the mayor and, you know, this ordinance and this city ordinance. And I had a wonderful plan to have your wall raised so the people couldn't see your, your, uh, your restaurant and, this, you know, et cetera. And, and, and it just, it's, it's just so wonderful, you know, and it, uh, yeah. What else do you say about it? It's just wonderful. Well, what do you think was the best story? The one between, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Helen Mirren's character and Papa's. 
or was Hassan's and Marguerite's? I'm going to go with yes. Okay. So, wow, you <laughs> feel like they were uh, well complimentary. I, I was very involved uh, in the uh, drama between them both. I was very caught up in both of those stories, uh, which just brings me to the last point that I wanted to make on the side of, of my, my – well, actually, there's two. I forgot about one. Uh, but one of the last points I want to make about the things that I like about this film – um, and that's that despite the obvious two romances that were brewing, the film didn't feel the need to, you know, have the wedding bells going. Uh, and I, I kept thinking as we progressed further and further, I'm like, okay, they're going to feel the need to make sure both of these couples get married and, and, uh, they live happily ever after. And, and how are they going to do this without it being cheesy? I don't know. And they just didn't, <laughs> and it just didn't go there. And, and I loved it. Um, okay. it's obvious they're going, they're heading down that road. I mean, these, these, you know, they they both have a future. Both these couples have futures together, but they didn't, that wasn't necessarily where the story needed to end for, for this particular film. Interesting. Yeah. Did you not like that? Uh, I didn't really think much about that aspect. Uh, I guess now that it, I'm kind of neutral towards it. Uh, I didn't really think about the fact that, you know, ultimately there would be some sing-songy moment where somebody would get on bended knee and, you know, propose or something. Yeah, I, I fully expected. I kept expecting, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to get down on one knee and he's going to propose and it's going to be cheesy. And he never did it. And I was like, wow. Yeah. What the film accomplished was it just established their ongoing, you know, romantic relationship. So yeah. And it's it, obvious it, was, that it was hard enough to get that to that step. It's, it's hard enough. It's obvious that, that uh, Hassam was going to get down on one knee at some point very soon and propose to uh, uh, to Marguerite, but he didn't. Um, no, the hell, uh, Madame Mallory and Papa, they may have a, a few more years before they get to that point, but they, you know, they progress quite a bit. <laughs> Who um, knows? It was a lot of fun, you know, because these two very opposite, very different people, you know, opposites attract and, and, and the chemistry was there. I mean, even despite their fighting and bickering, that was, this is what they're, you know, they had wonderful chemistry. Mm. All right. Well, we've come to that point that no, we, we have to talk about. No, we haven't. Oh, I'm not done. I'm not done. Really? Uh, I have two things, two, uh, one that is a general, you know, way in the light category and one that, you know, I like, but it's more of a general observation. Okay. So the, the, the first thing that I, I really loved about this film, uh, you know, the, the, or the, I guess the last thing that I loved about this film was the cinematography. There were some very key moments that, uh, the, you know, kind of while the camera is following Hassam around during the, uh, it, you could call it a montage where it's advancing the story, getting from point A to point B, where the, the restaurant is getting going and they're following him around and he's chopping in the kitchen and the camera just has these wonderful moves from, from place to place and then eventually it, it, it kind of soars out the window and into the beautiful landscape of, uh, of France. And, and I thought it was fantastic work. It's, it's been, uh, I mean, I know, you know, there's there's probably been other films this year even that have had great camera work, but my goodness, this had fantastic cinematography. Mm. Mm. I have to agree. Yeah. And then my, my other general observation is that I loved watching uh, Hassam, you know, sitting in his room reading those books. And that may seem like an odd thing to like and, and to observe. But I remember when I was, oh, I suppose, what, what, what would you say his age was in this film? 20, 21? Yes. When I was 18, 20, 21 sort of age, I would, you know, pour through these books that nobody else had any interest in, uh, you know, that had to do with technology or computers or, or what have you, just things that nobody else would be interested in. And he's going through the same journey about food. So while I can't identify with the desire to cook these wonderful, luscious meals and put together all these, I'd rather eat them. Uh, I, I don't identify with cooking. I identified with the journey that he was going on where he was different from other people like nobody nobody around me at that time was interested in the things that i was interested in and and he went through this uh this sort of nerd geek journey but about food 
uh, and he would just pour through these books, and it was it was just uh, it was very wonderful. I, I thought to to watch that from my perspective. Nobody else may have found that interesting, um, but I made that parallel. I'm like, this is the same thing that I went through, but about a different topic. Yeah, I actually noticed that too. That was something that I appreciated because really, what it boils down to is craftsmanship, becoming a, a real professional at something, proficient at something, knowledgeable about it. Yes, having firsthand experience with it and knowing it like the backside of your hand. And that's what we got to see this young man go through. He obviously felt very knowledgeable about his Indian food getting to France. But even then, he still considered himself to be a student of the uh, culinary arts. And he, But really, when I say student, but what he realized was that he was going to have to be self-taught. And then when he gets to France, he realized he wanted to learn a whole lot more about the French cuisine that he had, and his family had never um, you know, thought to consider and add to their own food or, you know, to uh, recombine recipes and make something new. And that's what they found was that when they, when Hassan was doing his best work, it was when he took his knowledge from India and uh, mixed it up with what he learned about French food. And then he made something that was really unique that the French had not ever encountered before. Yes. And that was so cool because I think that that's like the only way that you could possibly wow food critics is to introduce um, ingredients that they have never tasted before. You take some fantastic dishes that they know, and even if they are the best dishes of their life, maybe their familiarity has kind of taken some of the excitement out of the food dish for them. But then you make it interesting again by adding, you know, a whole new a spin on that food somehow by using the uh, the ingredients of another country altogether, and only someone like Hassan could have possibly pulled that off. So the other the, the other cooks that were competing with him in the film obviously didn't have the edge that he could have. But uh, his um so what you know <laughs> what I guess that is saying is that uh, his weakness turned out to be his strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Now, Joe, you may make the transition. Um, okay. Well, we'll talk a little about a couple of the dislikes. Um, I have a feeling you're going to have more than I have, given your star rating compared to mine. Uh, these are not like really harsh feelings, but they are consistent about the film all throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, it felt like the the film at times might should have just gone ahead and used subtitles. Uh, really? It was jarring to me that more than once... Some French person would say something in French and then would say, in English, this is, and then they would go on to say the same thing in English. Oh, uh, that only and happened once, and I thought it, it was really well I, done. No, I noticed that it happened more than once, well, whether they, they said okay, they in spoke- translation, but they, they would often say it. They would say it, but like, <laughs> I mean, why would you do that? You're talking to a group of people that are all French. And but you they tell only, them something in French. They and then only you did the translation the thing one time, though, Joe. They, they, they no, did talk they did in it more French. Than once. No, they didn't. They did talk in French a few times, but they never bothered to translate it. And I actually liked that. I thought that was fun. I I understand doing it once, but again, at the same time, I don't know why people in that situation would have done it. You were so and, you were such an American. Make it put it in English so I can understand it, please. No, I don't <laughs> want it all in American. But that's my thing. The majority of the story was already made in Amer in English. Well, 
in American, in English. And that was one of the things that kind of seemed odd to me. Like I said, you are such an American. No, my point is, if anything, if they wanted to be consistent and make the whole thing in French and Indian subtitles or, you know, in those languages and give us English subtitles, I, I would have been happy with that because I would have understood why they did that. Because that's the setting that this story is taking place in. And it would have felt a little bit more authentic. But at least if you're going to have moments where you speak in French and then other parts where you're going to speak in English, go ahead and just give us the subtitles for the French speaking parts. Mm, I, and have to, I have to disagree with you. I think, I think that it would have been simpler. Mm. Um, or should I say a little bit more authentic to what would have really happened if this film were being you know ever so slightly documented? Um, that's what subtitles usually do for me. Um, it's, again, it's not a huge deal. It's just something that I've, I would have preferred that they had done differently. Uh, another thing was, uh, going back to the cinema. Did you want a further comment? Oh, I just wanted to say, I, I kept saying, uh, you're an American, you're such an American. And I know that we're going to get nasty emails about, uh, people who, uh, I, I don't know. I think most of our listeners are, you know, from the United States, but I just wanted to point out when we say, or when I say American as, as, as citizens of the United States and we say American Canadians and, and other people get upset with us because there's more to America than just the United States. It's a, it's a continent, not a, not a country, but whatever. I'm, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, send all of those emails to TJ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> TJ um, at please do not email me.com. <laughs> I'm sure that's out there. Uh, the internet's a very big place. Uh, another thing going over to the cinematography, um, I really did enjoy the cinematography. Don't get me wrong. But for all the criticism that people place on J.J. Abrams for his lens flares, yeah, this film has a lot of like sunspots and bright lights being shined right into the camera. And usually it's the sun itself peering through the windows into the chef's you know space or whatever. I feel like most of them were more tastefully done than J.J. Abrams, but I felt like they could have been toned down. And in what was odd to me was the number of times that it was happening while there were basically close-ups. So you would see a close-up of Hassan while he was like making a revelation in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, light bulb, it comes on <laughs> around the corner and it bathes him in light. And he would realize what he would need to do with his recipe. Light bulb. I'm, I'm, and, I'm, I'm picturing the, the, the dude from... Uh, from uh, Oh, he's got the minions. Um, why am I my, my poor brain? It just it wasn't in that year. What was the name of that film? Despicable Me. Yes, Despicable Me. Thank you. Continue. Yeah, so that kind of thing happened a lot. Like there would be a close up, and then at the same time there would be uh, light rays that was like getting in the way between you and them, and so it was like, where's my sunglasses? Where did I put them down? Um, that happened a lot. Um, yeah, like like I said, I I feel like it was not as bad as J.J. Abrams and certainly more tasteful where J.J. just throws them in indiscriminately. I felt like they made sense where he put them in, but I felt like a little bit more moderation was called for. Okay. Would, would you agree with that assessment? Sure. But yeah. at the same time, what's funny is even though I'm bringing this up, I'm not really saying it's a criticism uh, that I want to embrace because I'm okay with lens flares in general. I sure. was okay with JJ. fun. I was okay with J.J.'s too. But I mean, like, I understand that like people want to pick a bone about JJ's, but if you're going to talk about JJ's, then you've also got to, you know, you got to point out that this one's got some bad lens flares too. Um, that's really I, my main point. I certainly noticed them. And I feel like if you start noticing them, you've, you've overdone it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that might be a good metric. 
but I've certainly, I mean, I've done some, you know, uh, independent filmmaking and, uh, I, I've certainly used my share of lens flares and, you know, when the sun's glaring down and it just looks really cool. And then, you know, certainly it's, 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 it's a thing you can do. It's just, it's so overdone. So one thing I wanted to mention that I liked, but I think a lot of people would not like at least ways the people that are accustomed to Hollywood formulaic films is that, um, Traditionally, you know, plot-driven films tell you where they're going and why they're going there. Uh, this film implies that what we want to see is Hassan uh, become the great chef that he was always meant to be mm-hmm. and to add stars to some restaurants so that their credibility goes up and up and up. And all those people are that are, you know, loved ones of Hassan who are around him are riding the wave of his success. And you want to see that happen. But at the same time, that felt like that really wasn't at the heart of the plot. Um, the, the, the film was more or less driven by the characters and their relationships than more so than it was by what was happening with the stars of a French restaurant, which kept on being brought up over and over and over again. So at times, I don't think the film did a good job of communicating where the story was headed and why you should keep paying attention. Mm. So this is okay. It felt a little bit more like an indie film in that way. Like we're just going to watch something that is happening, unfolding over the course of many years. And we're seeing a little bit of a Hassan's maturation from a young man into a full fledged man. So how did he become a full fledged man? Maybe that's what it was about. But then at the same time, it's like when the film finally ends, it resolves something like, I don't know if they were trying to connect, uh, the relationship of Hassan to his mother with his relationship to Hassan and Marguerite, because he always felt like something was lost when he lost his mother at the beginning of the film, because she is what completed him as a chef. He felt like he, he was meant to be this cook and his mother being in the kitchen with him is what made it feel right. And in the moment that she was gone from that moment forward, he always felt like he was a little bit lost. He was, he was Han Solo in the kitchen and mm. he wasn't complete without so much as a Chewbacca. And so what he needed was he needed his, his mother back and she wasn't around. So what he discovered was Marguerite, the perfect match. And he wanted to have a kitchen with her. And so it seems like that's what it was suggesting. It's just that that being the overarching plot, it didn't do a very good job of making that clear. And I figured it out, but I think that that could be one complaint of a larger audience that is more accustomed to formulas. And again, I'm not exactly saying that this is my complaint. It's more of an observation that this film might be hard to follow if you want to know clearly what exactly am I watching this movie for. Yeah. Um, Going back to my honest complaints, uh, I felt like... I felt like... uh, the 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 actors did a wonderful job the director did a wonderful job but the script could have been better written really yeah i i feel like it was good but not great and that is why this film does not get more star cred uh if it if it had a a, a night uh, if it had to see a, where you're going with this because i have some thoughts uh, about that which i'll share in a minute but I, I, this will be interesting Okay. Well, maybe maybe for a good comparison, at least ways the way it, it's working and ticking in my mind, is I'm thinking about a movie like The King's Speech. 
The King's speech was a, a hard sell. You're trying to talk about something that doesn't naturally sound like a story, even if it has a lot of things in this historical drama that would appeal to a wide audience. Like you have royalty. Okay, everybody wants to see a movie about royalty. And you have people related to Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth. You know, that, whoa, that's, that, that's cool. So tell, tell me more. You know, and so all of a sudden you've got some, some tenants for a good film, but then your main guy is someone who has a speech impediment. And okay, it could be a little bit more difficult to tell that story. Um, so what you have to do to make the story really well done is you have to have brilliant acting, brilliant directing, and a brilliant script. One where people specifically go away remembering lines from the film, as well as the performances, as well as the pacing and the cuts in the direction of the editing of the shots. And you go away with like remembering all those things as a whole from the King's speech. And I think that's one of the reasons why it ultimately got the, the Oscars in 2012 or for 2011 films. Um, whereas this film it has some compelling content, ideas, concepts with these characters and food and, you know, the competition and what have you. And the love relationships were there, but it felt like at times their dialogue was not selling it as effectively as it should have. Hmm. For me. Yeah, I mean, it's far different from Mike. And this is, script. this is just like sprinkled all throughout. Like the person who was probably written the best was Papa. The second best would be Helen Mirren's character, yeah, who who was also really well written. But then when it came to all the supporting characters or plot driven moments, uh, Hassan and even Marguerite, I felt like were shortchanged. Yeah, I mean, I felt like we were definitely shortchanged with Marguerite. I wanted more of her. She was a fantastic character. I, I could agree with that. I. I, th- I think what I was feeling more was, you know, Hassam just doesn't have as much character growing to do. I don't know if I felt like his dialogue was stifled. Um, and I felt like he could have been given a little more to, room to grow, although I'm glad that they didn't, you know, carry the whole, like, you know, they didn't go through the whole sob story with his mother dying and now he's like this, you know, doesn't he's, he's aloof in life and doesn't know what to do. He's a you know, leaf blowing on the tree, blah, blah, blah. It, it, you know, so I, I don't want I would I wouldn't say that I wanted too much more of that, but I felt like it could have used a little bit of drama in his character. But overall, I, I don't think I felt the way that you, you're feeling about the, the script there. Mm. What I will say is that I thought the script and the plot and the story were all fantastic, 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 right through the second act. It just really held up well. And then it felt like, and I was afraid this was going to happen. I had this little thought in the back of my head. It's like, they probably don't quite know where to go with this in the third act. And they didn't, they, they really, it really felt like it fell flat in the third act. Like they didn't quite know how to wrap that story up. It's like they had a great, a really solid first and second act. And the writers are like, how do I, how do I do this? What do I do now? I don't know. And, and that's, you know, I don't know. It's based on a book. Maybe that's the way the book was. I don't know. That's just what it felt like to me in the third act. It really lost me. Uh, They just didn't know where to take it. The whole climax is just a bit of a letdown. Um, if it, it, it never felt like it was too long until it got to the third act. And then at some point in there, you're like, why are we taking so long, uh, you know, to go through montages basically? Oh, he's cooking here. Now he's cooking there. And he's like, like shorten that way up and get him back home. Uh, I just, you know, it, it just felt a little flat. And yeah, even, even the res, even the resolution of, of, of how he's like, we'll get our third star, our Michelin star together. It just felt, how else can I say it? Flat. I know I'm repeating I'd myself. Be, yeah, that's okay. I would be inclined to believe that the book probably does a better job of communicating the finale. 
um, because it would, it, you know how it goes. Yeah. You feel like you're getting into the mind of the narrator and stuff like that. So it feels more complete. I'm working right now through the, uh, the novel of The Giver. Mm, and, uh, you fun. know, the, yeah, in that film, you know, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I guess part of the reason why I liked the movie as much as I did was I felt like I could understand where the movie was coming from, where the story was coming from in ways that the movie didn't do a good job of communicating on its own. Yeah. And then I'm reading the book and I feel like, huh, well, the movie and the book have their differences. They're not altogether consistent. But for what it's worth, um, I think that the movie did it, its own right. It did, it did well for what it was trying to accomplish for the film medium. And the reason that several things were changed about the novel was simply to try and um, make the movie work in a way that it couldn't if it were more literally a translation of the book. Yeah. And now I'm kind of curious about this one as well, uh, just because it it's different enough. It, like The Giver, it's one of these... Uh, f- uh, f- it feels mainstream enough. It feels like it has some formulaic qualities while also being original enough that you can understand why that they wanted to make this movie in the first place. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is... Uh, it's probably more or less faithful to the book compared to others, but... Again, when you have movies like this, you can't get into the mind of the characters unless you infer your own feelings on the people uh, that you're watching in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can imagine what it's like to be Hassan watching a loved one being, you know, killed in a a horrible fire. No, actually, I can't imagine that, but... That, you can imagine hor- it. That seems horrible. You you can imagine it, but you're not going to know what that's really like for Hassan unless you read the book. And yeah. in which case, then you would know exactly what that was like for Hassan as far as the author wanted to communicate that to you. So, yeah. I had one other um, thing that I, I had a complaint about, uh, and that is that, um, you know, there's this whole competition thing that happens between Hassan and Marguerite where... <clears throat> Excuse me. At first, they, um, you know, they're getting friendly. They're getting romantic. They have a, they even have a kiss in which Marguerite says, eh, maybe not such a good idea since we are technically competitors. And it's like, ah, what's the big deal? Blah, blah, Well, then he actually gets a job with, uh, with the French restaurant across the street. And now they really are in competition. They're trying to climb their way to the top. And he comes over to get her blessing for working there and to say, Hey, I, I think that we can still be friends and be friendly and friendly competitors. And she, he, he, his, his hands, by the way, have been burnt from a fire that happened, and they're all bandaged up. And he puts his hands up to her face, uh, and she, she reaches up, you know, as if she was to stroke his hand, and then she digs in and really hurts him. And I felt like that was so out of character for her. And uh, okay, what? Go ahead. Well, you uh, obviously uh, have something to say about that. Uh, I felt. Um I felt like I understood why she did it. I felt like he was being uh, too forward. Uh, that's see, why she did it. Mm, I didn't feel that way. But my point is, so that, so that's the beginning of this heated up um, a thing. Uh, aside from it being out of character, there's this heated you know thing that happens between them. But but it never really goes anywhere. It never does anything for the story. Like yes, there's this tension there, and then suddenly later it's gone, and there's no more tension anymore. And so what? It never. It's like it never happened, and it never. It never 
has any compelling reason to exist. That's my one – I think that's the one big flaw with the plot is is that the, the tension between them really doesn't have anything driving it or, or any reason to be there. Uh, yeah, hmm. I didn't really want to go here, but you brought it up. Um, I was kind of conflicted about this because it, this was one of my uh, complaints about, I guess – the material, the script, and what it was trying to accomplish with a scene, I felt like it wasn't communicated well enough to help the actors translate what what was in the script to the screen, or what was intended by the writers to the screen, because they seemed to be uh, underacting out the scenes where they were uh, feeling intimate, they were kissing, or they had a romantic moment, and they were making a personal connection they kind of kind of put their poker faces on mm. and it didn't feel like they were ex- being very expressive. The music was trying to be expressive. The fact that Hassan was trying to kiss Marguerite was being expressive, but then their body language says, we don't know why we're doing this. Yeah. And then the way, the way that they kind of like lingered on each other every time that they would look at each other in the eyes was kind of a look of what are we doing here? <laughs> rather than one of yeah. oh we definitely know what we're doing here and now how do we feel about that see i didn't get any of that uh but i, I definitely got i i thought that the whole um like maybe if they'd added a little more see okay so i guess like i felt like they didn't grow through the experience of being enemies they 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 no. a, they didn't act it out very well it was under that was what i felt was underacted was them being enemies and then b it just like they kind of just sort of got over it with time and didn't really grow through the experience and it didn't, it didn't shape them. It didn't propel them. It didn't push them. It didn't factor in in any other way, except that it existed. Right. Going back to the, you've got mail. That's one of those examples where they were very competitive with each other and they, then they grew out of it and grew through that experience. It made their relationship more special when it actually became, you know, genuine love. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you ever see that film? I've not seen it. My wife has it and loves it, and uh, she keeps threatening to make me sit down and watch it, and I'd like to, but it's just one of those things. I watch a, I watch a new new film every week for the most part, and it's just hard to watch, you know, catch okay. up. It's really hard to catch up, Joe. I, I, I completely understand. Yeah. Uh, but I, really but to. I would totally make time for that one. Yeah, I need to. On a date night or I, something. I think I would like it. So yeah, um, I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's abundantly clear. We spent a lot more time on our likes than our dislikes. At least I I feel like we did, and I I yeah. definitely like it a lot more than I dislike it. In fact, I only had two points of dislike, uh, where you had I think four, um, or five or something like that. Yeah. Um, but but even so, um, I, and I've thought about monkeying with the uh, the format of the show. Sometimes we ignore the format and just talk about all things willy nilly. But typically we do likes and then dislikes. And I don't know whether that does the the films we like a service or a disservice um, because I feel like it's hard to talk accurately about the dislikes. If you really like the film, you've got to talk about the likes you like and then why – it's sort of like we talk about the dislikes because we loved it so much. You know what I'm saying? I, because we, we wanted better for it, I guess. I don't know. So I don't know. What do you something something to think about? <laughs> I don't know where I'm. You know, I, I don't know what the conclusion of that of that thought is. I understand. Uh-huh. It's it's always you feel like you got to talk about this film in its own context. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess to wrap things up, Joe, where where do you stand? What's your star rating? What what is your recommendation? Uh, do you think it should be seen before it runs? You know, it leaves the theaters. Uh, what, what what you got going on over there? 
Well, I was very hesitant to see this film. My mom kept bringing it up and she really wanted to see it. I don't know where she heard about it, but it was highly recommended to her. And she convinced me, yes, I must see it sometime. And I kind of groaned inside when I heard that it was produced by Steven Spielberg and Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey, yeah. Steven Spielberg, sure. I, I, uh, I was kind of like, okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> but but because my mom wanted to see it, she was like, can you really you know, take me to see it? And I was like, I don't know. And it turned out that I couldn't see it with her. I wasn't trying to avoid it, but I just, we, we, it didn't, our schedules didn't align. So when I did see it, I was just hoping for the best because it didn't look like there was worth anything else to see in theaters. Um, and I feel like, yes, after seeing it, I'm glad I saw it. I wish I had not been so hesitant. And it was definitely worth seeing. Yeah. Do you need to see this film in theaters? Probably not, um, given the nature of what it is, the kind mm. of movie that it is. I say definitely be willing to see this movie, though, under whatever kind of context you want to. If you want to catch it on a date night, it's a great film for that kind of occasion. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I just I love movies on the big screen, even if they aren't big action movies. I feel like it's worth seeing. But go ahead. I'm sorry. This, this is your part. I'll get to mine. And I'll give it three and a half out of five stars because I feel like it's a very good film. It just it could have done a whole lot more to make it a masterpiece. Uh, cinemagraphically, it was fantastic. Cinem- and yeah. cinematographically. Cinema- uh, yeah, I was about to correct you. And like, I don't even know if I know the right way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> We'll put that into all the other words we cannot pronounce category. <laughs> um, and, but then apart from things like the cinematography and the fantastic location, it felt like perhaps it lost some of the, the magic that the book's story had mm. going for it. I am, uh, I, I'm a little more favorable towards this film, even though you're not unfavorable towards it. Um, I toyed with a four and a half star rating. I really did. Um, and, uh, I'm still not sure whether it's not four and a half stars. I, I may regret saying out loud that I have given it four out of five stars because I really, really enjoyed this movie. I, I had probably the, the best time. It's hard to say, it, it, you know, it's so easy. It's so hard to recall all your theater experiences all year long, but I would say that it was one of the most enjoyable, one of the more enjoyable films I've seen this year. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I I was really happy with the pacing. I was really happy to be seeing a film that didn't feel like it had to entertain you with mindlessly every five seconds with an explosion. Uh, there was very little action in this film, if any. Um, it was just a great story. Uh, wonderful, wonderful acting from all from all quarters of of this of this film. I don't think there was a bad performance in this film. Um, it, you know, and, and even so just that, that the, the loss of steam in that third act is really what ultimately brought it down from the four and a half star territory that I wanted to give it. Uh, I felt like they could have done better. They should have waited a few more months and really honed in on that story. And what was the, what was the reason why it was being made? What was the plot driving to that really ultimately hurts it for me. Uh, and the fact that, uh, Hassam and Marguerite, um, the, their, their, um, their rivalry, while, while it could have been great fuel for the story, seemed a little bit senseless as it was. So ultimately for me, that's what brings it down to four out of five stars, but I highly recommend it. And I do think there's something in the, in the big screen that, that loses in translation a little bit when you're coming to the small screen in your own home. So if you have a chance to see it in the theater, I would, I would recommend it. So that's where I'm at. Four out of five stars. IMDb uh, rates it 7.5 out of 10. I don't know why I wrote 5 there. I meant 10. Uh, that's the user rating on IMDb. Uh, the critics on Rotten Tomatoes are only at 67%, which I'm a little irritated about. Uh, and the uh, audience, though, is more favorable at 84%. 
Uh, and it did make quite a bit of money, as we mentioned earlier, $49.5 million out of a $22 million budget. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how good this film was. Awesome. Glad I recommended it to you. Yes, I'm glad you did, too. I, uh, I had forgotten about it until you mentioned it. It's like, oh, yeah, we should see that. So, next week, we haven't talked about this yet, but do you want to uh, review A Walk Among the Tombstones? Uh, sure. What is it? <laughs> uh, it is the Liam Neeson uh, deal. Let's see if I can find oh, a synopsis. Cool. Liam Neeson deal. Sounds nice. Um, it's got to be another one of those rip-offs of uh, Taken, right? It's got to be another mm, work no. from that So, so formerly, formerly a detective with the New York PD, now a recovering alcoholic haunted by regrets, Matt Scudder has a lot uh, to wake up, make up for. When a series of kidnappings targeting the city's worst criminal, uh, worst drug criminals escalates to grisly murder, the circuit's ruthless leader uh, convinces Scudder to find a, a culprit find the culprits and bring them to bloody justice. Working as an unlicensed private detective, Matt sees what the police don't see and treads where they most fear to. Operating just inside the law to track down the monsters Mm -hmm. responsible, Scudder stops just short of becoming one himself. All right, you ready to review that film? Yeah, I I think that that's the one we should should review next week. You good with that? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. All right. Uh, so with that, Joe, where may people find your work? Uh, they, they've heard your review. They love you. They, they're bowing down before your greatness, and they want to follow you online. Where can they do that? Uh-huh. Well, if they want to find me, I'm at joedarnell.com. And on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And I occasionally write reviews for Movie Bite, and uh, obviously on this podcast. Yes, and if you want to follow me, you may do so. I am uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, I write for moviebite.com uh, pretty much every day. Um, and uh, of course, we do the podcast. If you want to find show notes for this podcast, you can go to moviebite.com. That's M O V I E B Y T E.com slash M B podcast slash 106. And next week, as we mentioned, we will be reviewing A Walk Among the Tombstones. That is it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you had as good a time watching this film as I did. Until next week, uh, have a great week. Good night.